0: Uh, a friend of mine tells the story of driving up the New South Wales coast up along the Pacific Highway. And uh, it was the Christmas holidays, heaps of traffic around, and Phil had been stuck behind a caravan for ages. So it was one of those sort of classic family moments. I'm sure some of us have been there. Dad's behind the wheel, uh, getting more and more impatient that he can't overtake. And it sort of is pervading the whole car, in that feeling that everyone is now getting edgy, Everyone's now feeling just a little unsafe. Anyway, finally Phil came to a long section of road, at which point his seven-year-old son said, Hey, Dad, look, the centre line is broken. You must overtake now. You must overtake now? It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Luckily, Nathan is now a lot older and he's got the road rules a little bit more in line. But at that point... He hadn't quite figured out the difference between having to do something and having the choice to do something. That critical difference between may and must. Because sometimes, take the centre line, if it's not safe, if it's going to cause an accident, sometimes you're far better off not doing something even though you may be technically allowed to. Now friends, that's pretty much what chapters 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians are all about. Because the Corinthians are a bit like my friend's son and they are simply not getting that critical distinction between may and must. And for us as Christians, that is a distinction that we must get straight in our heads. Because as Christians, you and I may do heaps of things. Because of Jesus, we have been born into enormous freedom. We are not saved by what we do, but by what Christ has done for us. And because of that, we have an enormous liberty of lifestyle. But just because we may be able to do something, doesn't mean we should. The Corinthians don't get that. And it's creating a massive problem involving food and idols. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols. Before we go on, please just notice that that opening phrase is very similar to the opening phrase from last week in chapter 7. Last week it was now about the matters you wrote. Now, uh, this week, it's now about food sacrifice to idols. That little introductory phrase, now about dot dot dot, uh, that's a phrase which Paul is going to repeat on and off throughout the rest of the letter as he systematically works his way through lots of specific issues that the church have asked him about and every time he changes topic he's going to introduce it with that phrase now about, and last week it was marriage and singleness, this week it's food sacrifice to idols. Which was a problem in the church because back in Corinth at the time Paul wrote this, it was not unusual for the meat in the markets to have been part of a sacrifice to a pagan god. The prevailing custom was that when a pagan sacrifice was made only part of the sheep, part of the goat, part of whatever animal it was only part was actually burnt on the altar and the other bits were split up amongst the pagan priests. And often the priests would then go off to market and sell his portion to the butchers there because you can only eat so much meat. And it's not as if they could come home and throw it in the freezer. And so many of the butcher shops in town had a pretty good arrangement going where the priests got money for their part of the sacrifice that they couldn't eat and the butchers themselves in turn got a pretty good supply of meat. The end result is that as you push your trolley around the meat section at Woolies you couldn't quite be sure which trays of meat had been part of a pagan sacrifice and which hadn't. And that was leading to trouble in the church. Because for some people, it didn't matter. Uh, They had no qualms about eating meat that had come from a sacrifice. For other other people though, perhaps those who had come out of pagan rituals, uh, their conscience couldn't deal with the idea of eating any sort of food that had been part of a pagan ritual. It just didn't seem right. And so now there was this sort of tension starting to run through the church family, Bruce and Robin very lovely invite Sue and I to a barbecue for example problem is uh, they don't mind eating food that's been sacrificed to idols but Sue and I do and more to the point we know that they don't mind eating food sacrificed to idols and so now I'm around at their place and I'm I'm wishing I wasn't there because I'm looking at all that meat sizzling away on their barbecue and I don't know where it's been do I eat it? that doesn't feel right but they seem to eat it all right. well, I wish I'd never come. See, the whole, it's an issue that's starting to affect fellowship within the church family. And because of that, Paul's going to take this very seriously. He's going to take three whole chapters to deal with it. But as serious as the problem is, the solution turns out to be quite simple. It's all got to do with a very important principle that the Corinthians need to start living out. The principle is explained up front from verse 1. Now about food sacrifice titles, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now that last sentence, love puffs up sorry, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That is the principle that lies at the heart of sorting through this entire problem. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. In other words, knowledge alone can fill you with pride. Even Bible knowledge, even knowledge about God can give you a really big head, make you think you're a bit of a spiritual giant. But in the end, what matters to God is not how much you know about him, but whether or not you love him. The man who knows, who thinks he knows something, verse 2, doesn't know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. See, love is what matters most. If you think you know a lot about God, if you're quite proud of how much you know about God, and he sort of shows that you don't know him that well at all. Because what matters to him is not how many Bible verses you can quote or how fancy or sophisticated or perhaps even how orthodox your theology might be. What matters to God is whether or not you're honouring him in the way that you live. What matters to God is love. All of which means that, love ha- that knowledge has to be lived out very carefully and with love, in love. I mean... I know how to start a lawnmower. I have that knowledge. I know how to push a lawnmower. I have that knowledge. But unless that knowledge is tempered with care and consideration, I can do a lot of damage pushing a lawnmower. Through a flower bed. Through the house. Even mowing the grass when Sue's inside trying to get some rest from a bad headache. Knowledge alone is not enough. Love builds up. And having stated that key principle, what Paul now does is he goes on to apply it to the specific problem of food sacrifice to idols. And he does it by firstly explaining the knowledge side of the equation and then he adds how the love side of the equation should taper that knowledge. Verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God. Okay, He's setting out the knowledge bit here. And the knowledge bit is that technically there's only one true God and therefore idols don't exist. Verse 4 says that an idol is nothing. So think about it. Food sacrificed to an idol is food that's sacrificed to a nothing. So it's fine to eat it. That's the knowledge side of things. Go for it, eat the food. It's not the end of the matter, though, is it? Because that's only the knowledge bit. Technically, that's the correct answer. It has to be tapered with love. Verse seven. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still accustomed to are so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. And therefore, the loving way. To use your knowledge verse nine, be careful, however, that the exercise of your knowledge does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone has a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temper, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother whom Christ do- for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their, wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if, I, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again so that I may not cause him to fall. That's an amazing last sentence. If what I eat causes my brother to fall, I will never eat meat again. There is the love side of the equation. Here is the point that we remember the difference between may and and must. Here is the point that we, we need to remember that just because something is technically okay to do that does not necessarily give us the license to do it. Sometimes for the sake of our Christian brothers and sisters we actually need to forego our liberty and not do something that we are actually quite entitled to do. And so as to really drive this lesson home what happens in the next chapter, in chapter 9, is that Paul now goes on to use himself as an example of exactly this principle. I hope you've got your Bibles open. Let's keep reading into chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may be, not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, I think he's making the point that he's an apostle, don't you? Where's he going with this? Keep reading, verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't need of its grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk? See the point that's building? Everyone else gets paid for uh, the job they do. A soldier gets paid, a farmer gets a share of the product. You work your 40-hour week, you get the paycheck at the end. He points out in verses 8 and 9, even animals get paid for their work. And so he's building the case that I'm an apostle, everyone else gets paid for their work, surely I deserve to be paid for being an apostle. Verse 11, if you have sown spirit... if. if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Sound readable so far? He's slaved away bringing them the gospel. He's got the right for them to support him materially. And he's saying all of this so as to set them up for a massive but that's about to happen in the middle of verse 12. Let's go back to the beginning of it. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we don't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hint the gospel. And just in case you missed that, but it gets repeated down in verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. So you're seeing what he's saying? Paul as apostle, and he's got the right to ask the Corinthians to support him, but he didn't ask them. In order to safeguard the gospel for their sake, so that people wouldn't misunderstand and think that he's only in it for the money. He supported himself as a tent maker. He did not stand on his right to be paid. And friends, can you see how it's flowing straight out of that principle that we've just been talking about in chapter 8? about how love builds up. That principle of not doing things simply, ba- simply on the basis that you're allowed to do them, but on the basis of love, on the basis of what's best for the other person. In fact, such is Paul's love fathers, that he goes on to talk about how he's prepared to do all things for all men. Verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. That I may share in its blessings. Now, I reckon there's some of the most stirring verses in all of Paul's letters. Uh, The man has such a clear vision of the importance of the gospel. Nothing matters to this guy but people hearing about Jesus. And so, as to ensure that he will become all things to all men, he's not saying that he'll ever sin. That's why he talks about in verse 21 not being free from God's law. But as far as he can go without sinning, he'll go for it. I reckon Paul this afternoon would be very happy to be down the pub in thongs and a singlet chatting to people about Jesus while the races are running on Sky Channel. And the next morning I reckon he'd be very happy to be in a three-piece suit talking to business executives over cheese and biscuits. Because it doesn't matter what he's wearing. It doesn't matter what he's eating. What matters is that he's got the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And in verse 24 he writes of this in terms of him disciplining his body. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now I think we're meant to see that the prize that Paul has in mind there is not the prize of his own salvation. It's the prize of seeing people saved. It's the prize of seeing fruit for his labour. It's the prize of preaching the gospel and seeing lives changed and churches transformed. It's the privilege of being involved in a gospel ministry that's actually going somewhere. It's the excitement of doing something significant for God. It's the achievement of actually doing something with your life that will last forever. It is the joy of meeting people in the new creation who are there because God used you. And Paul is saying that he will do anything for that to happen. For the prize of seeing other people being built up in Christ he will discipline himself to go without things and to not do things he's quite entitled to do like being paid or for the sake of winning some. And friends we are to pour all this back into the original problem raised in chapter 8. The problem of food sacrifice to idols because he hasn't left that topic yet. He won't leave it till the end of chapter 10. This is all related. For Paul is wanting to show that by his very lifestyle, he is exemplifying the principle that should be applied to the problem of food sacrifice to idols. The principle of not acting out of knowledge, but out of love. The principle of willingly shaping your liberty with love for the sake of helping others stick with Jesus. And friends, it is at this point that I am struggling for words because I cannot find the right ones to adequately emphasise the importance of this lesson. Within the context of 1 Corinthians, this is perhaps the most pervasive lesson in the entire letter. This is a lesson that Paul is going to talk about time and time and time again. He's going to leave the topic of food sacrifice to idols in chapter 10. And there's going to be some other big topics coming up. How to keep the Lord's Supper whether women should wear, uh, have their heads covered in church, uh, speaking in tongues, using spiritual gifts in a public meeting. There's some big topics coming up. But what we'll find is that Paul approaches all of them with exactly this same principle. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. For this is an all-pervasive principle. This is not just for the Corinthians... This is for any of us who are at all interested in honouring Jesus in the way we live. This touches every aspect of our life and it takes us to the very heart of living the Christian life. In fact, this takes us to the very heart of how we were saved in the first place. This is what took Jesus to the cross. This is why Jesus did not account equality with God something to be grasped but made himself a servant for us. This is the principle of servanthood. And it is the very air that we breathe in the kingdom of heaven. And so when you walked in the building this morning, you were at liberty to sit wherever you wanted to. We live under grace. But did you think to shape that liberty with love? Did you look for someone who might have been by themselves? (coughs) Did you look for someone who was you? Did you think of anyone else at all when you chose where to sit this morning, or did you simply just go for where you felt comfortable? Which you're quite at liberty to do. Just may not have necessarily built anyone up. Over morning tea in a few minutes, where you're at liberty to talk to whoever you want about whatever you want. We live under grace. But will you be prepared to shape that liberty with love? Will you deliberately choose to have a significantly spiritual conversation? Would you choose to talk to someone that you haven't spoken to before? You can talk to your friends about the election. That may just not necessarily build anyone up. How are you going to spend the rest of the day? You're at liberty to do whatever you want we live by grace but are you prepared to shape your liberty with love will you choose to catch up with that person you haven't seen for a while will you look around the room and notice who's not here and give them a ring to make sure everything's okay, would you just be prepared to do a random act of kindness to give encouragement to a Christian brother or sister you can watch the footy on telly it's on we're at liberty to do that just not, may not necessarily build anyone up. Who have you been having around at your place for meals lately? Who, have you been, who do you spend time with? You're at liberty to just pick the easy people, stay with your friends, go with the people who aren't hard work. We live by grace. But would you shape that liberty with love? Be prepared to choose to look around and, and, and pick someone who isn't often included in things. Deliberately look outside your usual circle of friends for the sake of building up someone who is possibly falling between the cracks. Friends, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 is triggered off by a problem of food sacrifice to idols. At one level, that can seem so irrelevant to our daily concerns. But at another level, the principle which Paul is using here to solve the problem, it is a principle, it's an attitude that ought to touch down on every single thing we do in this life. It is the other person principle. It's the doing what is most helpful for the other person principle. It's the shaping your liberty with love principle. And I know that some of you here are exactly trying to do this in the way that you live. And I want to thank you for that. You are a great blessing to this church family because it's not easy. It is a heap easier to simply enjoy our liberty. It's a heap easier to just do what you want, go where you want, join in when you want, contribute when you want, help out when it suits, spend time with whoever you feel comfortable with. That is the easier life. But it is also the short-sighted life. For a day is coming when the, a, a day is coming when those of you who have chosen to be inconvenienced for the sake of others a day is coming for those of you who have chosen to limit your liberty with love a day is coming when those of you who do know the difference between may and must a day is coming when you will receive a crown that will last forever so keep at it. Let's be able to say with the Apostle Paul that we have run our race in such a way as to get the prize. And let's finish that race full of running. I'll pray. Father, we'd like to thank you that Jesus served us so phenomenally in going to the cross. Thank you that's because of his attitude of servanthood that we are even able to take our place in your kingdom. And, Father, we would like to ask that by your word and spirit, as your people, that we would also exude that same attitude in all that we do. Father, help us to look for opportunities to love each other well, even if it does mean limiting our liberty. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the encouragement. Help us to run in such a way as to get the prize. It is in Jesus' name and for his honour that we seek this. Amen.